We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, January 19th. We are diving into NFL Divisional round as the playoffs heat up. Some say this is the best weekend of the NFL season every single year. Let's dive in. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie. Joined as always by Mario Puig. It is NFL Divisional Weekend. We got four amazing matchups to get us through this weekend. But before we get into that, Mario, what were your big takeaways for, from last week's action? Oh well, uh, I guess you know more than a few. I was I was pretty shocked at the outcome of the Chargers game. Uh, not shocked at the Lombardi firing. Am shocked however at staley not getting fired and especially the gm not getting fired uh that was crazy not so many surprises i guess uh or what was it? i guess i guess that's like all that, that that really you know jumped out to me there, there wasn't enough uh shocking things otherwise to, to really stick in my mind i guess yeah i mean the the niners seahawks game you know, Good game for the first half, but I wasn't too surprised that the Niners were able to pull away in that one. Um, I actually w- was a late joiner to the uh, Jaguars-Chargers game. I turned it on, and it was like 17-0, to and I was like, oh, well, uh, this isn't looking good for me. Uh, I-, I remember I, I picked uh, the Jaguars to win that one, mostly because I, I thought that Staley was a bozo, and it helped <laughs> a little bit that that, um, yeah. that Mike Williams was going to be out, but I-, I didn't expect a 27-point. Uh, come from behind win that that level of pantsing for for the Chargers brass but there we were yeah, I thought the the Chargers would win easily not as much as it initially looked like they were going to uh, I thought they were going to win by like I don't know a touchdown maybe 10 points or something and uh, so initially like I, I was kind of like aha I, <laughs> right again and <laughs> then uh, when I noticed they're up like what was it they had 17 points or whatever it was or uh, off the of, off of four interceptions, they had like 17 or 21 points. And I remember thinking like, huh, it's like 11 minutes left in the second quarter or whatever, and they, they had all those interceptions, and it's only like 17 points is all they got out of it? That seems seems like they should have more like 31. Oh, it'll probably be fine. And then, uh, yeah, then it turned out the way it did. So uh, 
I was happy to be wrong, I guess. I can't believe the way I ended up being wrong, but I, I did want the Jaguars to win that. So uh, um, not that I wanted Staley to get like, I, 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 I kind of hate some stuff about Staley, but I don't actually want him to get like fired or otherwise disgraced, you know? So I was, I, I was, I was not happy to see that even though the Jaguars winning was cool in my opinion. Yeah. I thought you made some good points last week about, about Staley where he can be a little bit too deferential um, to, to, to certain things and not apply his own common sense. If he gets that figured out, I think, you know, the, the Chargers can be in, in very good shape. And, and, you know, part of common sense was obviously uh, the firing of Joe Lombardi. Um, yeah, but also Telesco, because as much as I, I hate certain things about Staley and, and, you know, certain things that he's done are, are just ridiculous, I think, I don't even think this loss was his fault, I think. And also, I think they would have lost that game even if Mike Williams was playing. The issue is they can't hold a lead. They can't play real football. You know, they can only play like, uh, they can play like arena football or whatever, CFL or whatever that is. But when they get a lead, they can lose it better than anybody because it's like you can't actually run a, a full NFL off of, like an all situations offense with basically like draw carry personnel. Like you can't ask Austin Eckler to keep you the lead, even if he gets you the lead in the first place, because he's, you know, he's not built for it. So they can't play between the tackles. They forfeit, you know, like a third of the field every single play. Like you just can't win over the long run playing that kind of football. No. And, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of how the Ravens, like they, they never have any receiver talent, but they've invested in it. I feel like the Chargers to, to a lesser extent, they, they've tried to get running backs, you know, J- Josh Kelly and, and yeah. Isaiah Spiller. It just, it hasn't worked. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Part of the problem is, is uh, this indifference to running the football nowadays, this, this sharp, uh, philosophy that you have to not care about running backs at all. That doesn't just cut against. Uh, it's not that they're just like cutting away at the per- the perceived utility of like really good running backs like Chubb or whoever else. It's that they also say it's it's like a court. The another you know byproduct of that is you stop being able to tell bad from good entirely. So you stop being able to make smart small scale investments too. You get bad at that. Like let's just say it's sharp to only make small scale investments in running backs it's still only smart if you make those smart uh if you make smart investments on whatever scale that is and they get these two fourth round picks they turn it into josh kelly and isaiah spiller instead of say like damian pierce or uh you know isaiah pacheco in this this case this one year's case and uh, it's like you put a player like that in that position i think you have a different outcome in that game now you you absolutely would because they'd be able to you know sustain some drives run some clock and, you know, that then the, the meltdown uh, doesn't become an issue. Um, one other, you know, kind of takeaway for, from the Chargers this season, uh, you know, we brought it up a, a lot. I felt like during the offseason and, you know, after the draft and how their their receiving core, you know, even if you do have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen healthy, they lack the, the top end speed. Right. Yeah. Um, but. You know, so that that's a personnel issue. But I also felt like, you know, I looked back at Justin Herbert's numbers for this year, and it's just criminal what what they did with with Justin Herbert in the sense that his average depth of throw was six and a half yards. Dude, every single it's eighth snap percentile, him, almost almost every single passing snap for him is almost analogous uh, for a uh, like goal to go situation in any other offense. It's like they yeah. have, they have like eight yards, and and then like they might as well have like an out of bounds line 10 yards past that 
and that's every single snap. And it's like, well, you guys must anybody who's watched a decent amount of football must remember some plays thinking like in the in the red zone, like, wow, sure seems like that offense could use a little more room right now. Uh, that's how it is every single play for Herbert, and that he does even as well as he has is incredible. Uh, if you put a lot, if you put almost any other quarterbacks in that scheme, they're just getting all their routes jumped, and uh, it's a mess. And uh, part of the problem too is like. Not not just the the slowness that receiver makes it hard to get downfield. Like they they literally can't access depths that faster receivers would, and Herbert can't throw as far downfield as he could in other scenarios. Um, it's it's that like when you when you have that slow kind of downfield personnel, you can still kind of make that work, but you're going to need play action to buy the time for the quarterback, and you're not going to demonstrate credible play action threats with the draw running back personnel. That's where the power element that between the tackles running comes into play again. If they want to have wide receiver personnel this slow for downfield functions, they need to be able to make the defense respond with bigger, slower personnel. And instead, the personnel they put on the field encourages defenses to respond with five defensive backs. You know, the, the people who would who would be most comfortable uh, running with Mike Williams down the field, and they're not responding to a, a run run threat to make them, uh, you know, approach it differently. So everything they do is literally, like, literally everything they do is wrong. Everything they do undermines everything else they try to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna sprinkle in a, a little wish cast uh, for for the draft uh, for for them. I would love to see Zay Flowers in in a Chargers jersey. I think that would fit very. Is he nicely. a burner? Is he like a downfield guy? I thought yeah, he was he, good underneath. Uh, I didn't know. Is that just because Boston College's quarterbacks can't? Yeah, they, they, yeah. Dracovich and, and uh, Emmett Moorhead. First time Dracovich, remember that? Yeah, I, I sure do. Um, yeah, not, not a whole lot of uh, noteworthy uh, downfield throwing elements to that offense. But Zay Flowers, like when he started his career, it was like you know twenty plus yards a catch, and then he started getting oh, you know okay. basically thirty percent of the targets, so shrunk a little bit. But I'm. I wouldn't doubt that he can do anything basically on a field other than be big. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't watched him yet, but yeah, the numbers tend to pass uh, the first inspection. So uh, especially if he tests pretty well, I'll, I'll, I'll probably like flowers a good amount. Yeah. He's, he's a fave of mine. Um, but then uh, looking, looking at Sunday's games, obviously, you know, the bills 13 and a half point favorites had to scrape and claw to, to get the win over, over the dolphins. That the was Dolphin. actually a little crazy. Mike McDaniel is pretty impressive. Yes. I mean, to, to get that out of Skylar Thompson, like they, they needed some crazy stuff to happen, of course, but at the same time, you know, like the, was that more of a case of the bills looking ahead or, or do they, do they need to so. figure something I think, out? I think the dolphins just kind of surprised them. You know, it's like McDaniel had them fired up on both sides of the ball and he did what he could with the offense, obviously. Uh, so bizarre how uh, it's like everybody who only watched Jalen Waddle in that game, like if that was the first time anybody's seen Jalen Waddle, they're like, oh my God, this guy sucks. And I know that it that's like kind of reasonable if you're, if that game is the only data point or whatever, but man, he, he's usually so good and he was so bad in that game. Bizarre. And I guess Hill, he, he dropped like an early one too, something like that. It was like Thompson actually wasn't so bad initially as I thought he was going to be. And then he was that bad after that. So uh, to, to keep that game close at all, it was crazy for McDaniel. And um, with that said, I would kind of blame the Bills more than I would give like too much, especially for the Miami defense having uh, causing like the turnovers. Like Josh Allen kind of is just prone to turnovers, even though that doesn't really get talked about that much. And uh, that was an example of like what, what can happen when it goes badly. So 
you, you could probably maybe you can just say for the Bills' perspective, like maybe they got it out of the way. Maybe maybe he you know got the worst of it done, and he can kind of go on a hot streak, or at least they need to hope so. Right, it's not unheard of of for a highly seeded team to to kind of struggle in their first game and then you know get things going as the playoffs and progress. It's a divisional and, game, so I don't know. That's true, and with with like recent history, you know, they they just played each other what like three weeks uh, prior, something like that, four weeks prior. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was a weird game, but you know, the Bills are still here. Uh, we got, I, I think is going to be the, the game of the weekend. Maybe maybe it ends up being the game of the postseason uh, between them and the Bengals uh, on Sunday. Um, moving on to, to the Vikings-Giants. Are the Giants potentially scary there for, for the Eagles? Well, the Eagles have to take it seriously, but if they do, I think they're fine. I mean, the, the Giants... Their their model is unquestionably dependent on overachieving, and yeah, Dable gets them to do that consistently. It's not like a, it's not a fluke uh, that they're that they're overachieving. It's like that's that's just what happens when Dable faces most other coaches. Like if he doesn't, if he faces a coach who's as good as game planning as him, maybe they look more like the players that we kind of thought they had all along, but. Not just that, it's like the the way that they've been winning, including, you know, against the Vikings, it's all these things that they, all these players are producing in ways that they can't count on them to do against the Eagles, and especially all those receivers. Like, Isaiah Hodgins has been red hot for a month now. Mm -hmm. I don't know how he can do anything against, excuse me, Darius Slay, especially James Bradbury, Uh, Richie James, been good. He's, He's done a little bit carrying them. Excuse me, especially before last week, him going against Chauncey Gardner Johnson seems like a no go or close to it. Uh, Darius Slayton going on going against presumably Darius Slay and James Bradbury the whole game. He already did that; only had like forty two yards or something on three targets. So Saquon Barkley has to win it for them, and he can like we, we can easily enough imagine him going for like one fifty on the ground and fifty sixty yards as a receiver. That's not that difficult to imagine, but that's also not the, you know, that's that's not the, the typical outcome for for Barkley. It's like he he has a game like that, you know, every month, month and a half, two months, something like that. So it's just going to be difficult for him to have that specific level of a game against this particular defense with the defense being able to zero in on him with impunity. Like if, if the Eagles don't give much safety help to any of those corners, they'll be fine. So if they want to put an extra person, like a, like a robber spy on Barkley specifically, they should be able to do that. And then you're down to just, can Daniel Jones run for like 100 yards? And I right. doubt it. And people are also losing sight of, the people lose like the context of all of Jones's usage. Like his passing has been very like play action heavy and they try to limit his exposure. And if they expose him more than they have, they're likely to see those returns decline. And in that same context, this rushing threat is is there. This 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 occasional rushing threat, and if you try to make that like a basis of your offense, you're all of a sudden going to have these plays where Daniel Jones is just bootlegging and running just uncovered for like 20 yards. Eventually, there will be some guy there to hit him very hard, and then you won't run it again. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we'll unpack uh, that game a little bit further. And, and you know, Jim, Joe's running all over the Vikings in the first half, and then the, the Vikings kind of buttoned that up in, in the second half. But um, when it comes to the Vikings, what's the what's the path forward here? You know, Cousins was on a one year deal. I imagine that they, that they'd you know run it back with him. Uh, you still have you know an impressive core on offense, of course, but the the defense, like we kind of were mentioning all season, was going to be the the Achilles heel uh, for for them, especially in the secondary. So, is this something where if they just make a couple moves in in free agency in the secondary and in the draft um, that they're able to, you know, kind of get back here and, and, you know, win as many games next year, but look a little bit more legit doing it. Obviously they were like basically by points differential, like the worst 12 win team ever. Yeah. They're like an eight and eight team in, in the old league. Um, they're in a tough spot, I think, because they have like this burden now of, of some level of expectation, even though they weren't good. You know, it's it, like they, people are having high expectations for them, not on the basis of, it's year two. It's time to show something. It's going to come on, go 13 and three again. <laughs> and that's probably not happening for like five years or something like that. So um, even if they're a good team in, in the time in between, but I don't know if that's a given either. It's like Dalvin cook is probably about toast. Kirk cousins was a problem this year. And I don't know if it's because of decline in his case, or if it's something to do with the system, not suiting him as well as the previous ones, but all of, his, all of his production to the middle of the field this year was just – it's, like, amazing they could run the offense at all with how bad it was. And the only reason they could run the offense at all was because of Justin Jefferson doing Jerry Rice things at the other one spot in the offense. And aside from him I, – I should have run the numbers on this. Kirk Cousins' numbers throwing to anyone who was, isn't Justin Jefferson this year must be something like – it must be, like, 5.8 yards per attempt or, like, 6 yards per attempt or something like that. And that like only no more than like 65% completed. So that's, that's, that's a, you punt all the time offense. You don't score any points with that offense. And yet that's what they were doing to everyone other than Jefferson and specifically in the middle of the field. It's like KJ Osborne had okay numbers last year, this year, just six yards a target. Uh, TJ Hawkinson was the, the, they traded for him hoping that would fix that issue. They were thinking like, Oh, well, Kirk just needs some more yards after the catch in the middle of the field in the slot. And then you look at TJ Hawkinson's numbers. It's the same thing. It's almost identical to KJ Osborne's numbers this year. So there was something about this year between either Kirk Cousins or the offensive scheme that made him probably like a bottom five passer in the middle of the field, bottom five passer to anyone other than Justin Jefferson. And that's insane to, 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 for that to be true. And I, I feel like it's gone basically unnoticed. So um, in any case, they have to change the offense or they have to change the quarterback or both. And it might be both. I don't know if it's just the quarterback, that's no easier of a task. I mean, that's that like blows up the whole thing potentially. Right. So uh, they got to get rid of, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know. I guess their draft capital might make it a bad time to try to build around a rookie or whatever, but if they can get a decent rookie, do it. Cousins is toast. This offense might be needing some reevaluation in general as a scheme. Dalvin Cook, they got to move on from probably to to uh, shore up some other areas. Uh, I will say they probably won't make that many investments in the secondary, or at least fewer than people want to expect. Uh, to be fair to them, and uh, Booth and the Missouri one were hurt all year. The right. fourth round, Missouri that's a good point. One. So if those guys turn out to be as good as they seem to be, as, and they both I thought were good prospects, yeah, uh, 
they 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 should you know be able to do better than uh whatever Chandon Sullivan next year. Chan, my my son Chandon. Um, let's see, but I guess if you know there there's some seismic changes, especially at at quarterback. Do you feel confident about Justin Jefferson being the the fantasy one one next year? Uh, I don't know. I I think he'll be fine. Like to me, it's it's pretty possible that Kirk Cousins has just been uh some version of not good, you know, or or even maybe less than average. Certainly this year, maybe maybe even longer than that. I don't know, but this year Cousins just wasn't good, and I. I think for Jefferson to be able to for Jefferson, so Jefferson had such better numbers than the rest of the Vikings targets, right? Like, I don't think that's from the offense selling out the rest of the guys or anything, or I just think he's that much better than everybody. And uh, a, a quarterback so bad as to make a player like KJ Osborne average six yards a target, TJ Hawkinson, six yards a target is only bad enough to keep Jefferson to the box score that he had this year. So uh, worse than Cousins is possible, definitely, but it, it's it's hard. I, I think it might, I think it might be surprising how much they could go to a conventionally regarded as bad or inadequate quarterback and see how little changes for it. And, and then uh, we'll we'll skip on or we'll skip the winners of the next two games and kind of quick look forward for for the the next two losers, the the Ravens and the Buccaneers. Um, looks like both. Could have different quarterbacks next year, so yeah, Sam Bay apparently going to have different everything uh, except the head coach. That's weird. Yeah, uh, they, no, Bulls. I like Todd Bulls. Yeah, he's I, out of his own head coach. Not not there. It seems like an absolute circus right now. So Tom is definitely gone. I'd almost, I almost. I'm like, man, can we get like? Can we get Mike Evans out of there too? Can we get? Uh, I don't know. I guess I guess Antoine Winfield's young enough that he can go through a rebuild, but man, get get Evans out of there, put him on a real team because this this is about to get ugly. Yeah, I I think so too. Yeah, the the Bucks, it's it's not going to go well for them. Uh, but you know, if, if you're them, you absolutely take what this Tom Brady era has given you. Uh, you went. From, oh yeah, they they're. I'm not pitying them. They're, those, no. those guys can kick rocks, as the polite people say. <laughs> kick them. And then, uh, as far as Baltimore goes, uh, uh, we could we could spend an entire podcast on on, on this one. But I hate pod, I hate it on podcast. <laughs> I mean, I I I respect the how they played on on Sunday night. The uh, the visual of, of Sam Hubbard looking like a Morton Joe on the sideline after running back that touchdown. Uh, it's going to yeah. stay with me forever, haunt my dreams, my nightmares, everything. Um, but. I, I would have prefer, I would have preferred to just have the Ravens get their teeth kicked in than than whatever that was on Sunday night. Yeah, that was that was just like a long, uh, it's 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 like a, a sixty minute version of when an older, bigger sibling puts the younger one in a little bit of a arm twist so that they're like they're not it's not like actively painful necessarily, but they also can't move and right like, yeah, and you start to move and it's like how for an hour yeah. yeah. Flicked, flicked their ears a couple times when they whined about it. <laughs> oh my god! Um, yeah. So, but again, we'll uh, we'll we'll get to that um, when there aren't uh, four postseason games uh, to, to get to on the slate. So, before we do that, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now let's kick things off at Arrowhead, Mario, where the Kansas City Chiefs, eight and a half point favorites against the Jacksonville Jaguars, who again just had an unbelievable comeback victory at home against the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, so do you think the spread is right? Do you, um, I, I kind of think that this is where the Jaguars, I don't know, I wouldn't call it luck, but um, this is where this is the end of the road for them. And I, I think the Chiefs come out and just kind of really, really take it to them. I, yeah, I would definitely pick the Chiefs to win. And it could be by, you know, double digits, let alone the eight and a half. But I don't know. It's tough for me to think this one through. I feel like there's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of like subtext to read into. Both of these coaching staffs have a ton of playoff experience. The Chiefs coaching staff has a ton of playoff experience. Doug Peterson has a good amount as, as one part of the Jaguars side, obviously. Uh, and Steve Spagnuolo specifically is the one that I wonder about, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, because that guy must 
he must have like 30 playoff games of experience by now or something. And he's got more than a couple instances of seeming to turn it on more in the playoffs specifically. I guess you'd say, especially when he was the defensive coordinator of the Giants. Right. And uh, they, they beat the 18-0 and Patriots. But he's also he's also done it a little bit with the Chiefs. But he's he also almost kind of, not, not that he necessarily blew it. I guess the personnel wasn't so great. But, like, last year against the Bills, like, that was no master class of a defense, of course. So, I don't know. Spagnuolo has, has had highs and lows. But it, the highs, th- those also happened. And it's like, if it happens again, that could be a tough one for a player like Lawrence. You know, going on the road is tough enough. Arrowhead is probably, other than maybe Gillette, like the last place anyone wants to go as a visitor. And being in the playoffs, going against Spagnolo, who might have, who probably will call a bunch of things that he didn't show once on tape in the regular season. And we've seen Lawrence make bad initial moves we've seen him come back from them later but it, it would only make sense really if, if you know a first time playoff quarterback a second year player an underclassman prospect and a second year moreover if if he kind of failed the test the first time he saw it that would make a lot of sense that that would be the norm even for highly successful quarterback prospects so if if Lawrence were anything less than like not good enough to win this or any, anything more than not good enough to win, that would be, you know, pretty much a triumph for him. So especially with all of that noted, it, it feels like the eight and a half at, at the very least is not as, you know, risky of an eight and a half as, as it might normally be. Uh, it's not an eight and a half like last week's between, uh, you know, the, the Ravens and the Bengals. It's like the way it can go wrong for Lawrence is one where the Chiefs score with the turnovers and don't necessarily take much time to do it. So rather than everybody just running out the clock for 45 minutes until someone pulls away at the end. It's like if, if the Jaguars make mistakes, they can, it can look more like the first, you know, uh, 20 minutes of the chargers game or something. And then they probably don't, you know, come back much or at all from it in, in the case of the arrowhead scenario. So um, the other thing that's different from the last time, and I talk about this in the, the cornerback article for this week, which uh, I'm going to make a no paywall just cause there's like not as many, you know, games people reading at that point in this point of the year uh but christian kirk had the big game against the chiefs the last time but that was when lajarius sneed was still playing the slot most of the time for the chiefs and lately it's been more the rookie trent mcduffie so that's a little bit of a wild card but it's not as good of a matchup as it would normally be for kirk to get against a rookie uh mcduffie is just uh like prototypically built for like slot kind of coverage and maybe even receivers like Kirk specifically so you'd, you'd like it a lot more if it was most other rookie corners but this actually might be a tougher matchup for Kirk than the first time and not just that it frees up Sneed to cover Zay Jones so if Sneed's on Zay Jones I'd say Sneed has the upper hand there Marvin mm-hmm. Jones has the uh the everybody has the upper hand against Marvin Jones if Kirk doesn't go it's just Ingram and Kirk in uh, ETN and they're dangerous enough then the Chiefs definitely have to be careful with those two but it's 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 like it, it, it's it's not a bad starting point for a defense if you just you know like we have to keep like Evan Ingram and Travis Etienne under 200 yards and we win. Right. Yeah. So um, it, with, with this potentially being tough for, for Kirk and Zay Jones, yeah, that that um that limits those options for Lawrence. And it was already, like you said, going to be a pretty tough environment to be playing in. 
Um, I, I at once think that he like kind of got his playoff jitters out in spectacular fashion and like at one burst, but um, this still, I think presents a, a uniquely tough challenge for him. I, I, I expect the, the Jaguars to maybe struggle to get to, to much over 20 points in this one. I could see them getting over 20. I just think the chiefs will finish with some kind of distance. And so it's like, if the, if the Jags get to 28, then the chiefs probably got to 38 or something like that. Yep. So I'm, I'm on the chiefs to, to cover here as far as uh, the, the chiefs offense and how it matches up against this defense. Where are the big advantages? Um, I'm sorry, the, the chiefs offense versus the Jags defense. Yes. Yep. Yeah, sorry. Oh uh, yeah. Um, so Tyson Campbell, I don't know how good he is. Specific. He's some kind of, he's some version of good. He could be very good, but even if he's not very good, he's good enough that it encourages you to go to the other parts of the Jaguar secondary, just because they are easier in comparison. Like maybe you can beat Campbell if you really need to, but why bother if you can find easier picking somewhere else? And especially the slot Trey Herndon and not just him, I guess, but Darius Williams, who's been mostly playing outside after opening the year mostly in the slot. Uh, Valdez Scantling had one of his few good games of the year against the Jaguars, and it's perfectly predictable. It makes perfectly good sense why that would be. It's because of those two corners. Uh, Valdez Scantling, he can outrun pretty much anybody in a line. Uh, Tyson Campbell, maybe he can beat him deep too, but uh, Campbell can probably match Valdez Scantling deep. However, Darius Williams is like 5'9 and 3'8 tall. Uh, Trey Herndon is something like 5'11", 180, and he's not particularly fast. Small corners, skinny corners who are who are short just can't really do anything against Valdez Scantling downfield in single coverage. And yet, if you know, as a defense, you're not going to love the idea of having to put a safety over the top against Valdez Scantling every snap because you look at the projections, it's like he only gets them like 38 yards a game. Why should we have to double this guy? But you have to do it anyway, or he will just run in a straight line and your corner will be too short to do anything, even if he's right there. So that that's something that's always going to be a problem for the Jaguars defense. And I don't know what they can do about it other than leave that safety over the top or just pray that they can keep Valdez Scantling to one of those games where he, you know, doesn't catch any of his five targets. It, it happens occasionally, but it's it's still easier said than done. And meanwhile, I feel like the Jaguars' run defense will kind of have consistent issues. I, I feel like the, I, I feel like they're they're running like kind of an ambitious defense, and they've they've gotten a little better with it over the course of the year. But Mahomes' ability to just isolate little parts of the defense and test every single part, whatever part of the defense he wants in a given play from any part of the field. I feel like he'll he'll eventually find some kind of like weak spot, something that the Jaguars just kind of can't really seem to deal with while also dealing with their, you know, prerequisite chores of accounting for the big play deep accounting for, you know, Kelsey, whatever amount that they try to like, there's, it's always just going to be some part of the, and I guess most of the times this year, it's, it's like Mahomes finds Jarek McKinnon with no one anywhere near him. Just like last year when he right. find Daryl Williams with no one anywhere near him. And uh, we'll see. I, 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 I've been skeptical that that position, that function, that opportunity is likely to exist in the playoffs but against the Jaguars it probably does so if if it's necessary it'll come down to Jarek McKinnon being uncovered somewhere and Mahomes will find him 
And uh, it'll probably be that, or uh, they just the Jaguars just kind of flail start to finish. And then, you know, when it comes to Kelsey and when it comes to Mahomes is testing every little thing, I, I do feel like there's a there's a good chance that the Jags just have to deal with a lot of Kelsey, at least early in this in the game until they can show they can slow him down. How would they go about doing that? Uh, I don't know. I guess the the safeties are Andre Sisko and, and Rayshon Jenkins. And I, I guess you would figure Jenkins is more the strong safety between the two of them. Maybe Cisco more of the the open field coverage kind of guy. Uh, I, I I guess that would mean Jenkins would be more likely to be anywhere near Kelsey as far as like slot type coverage goes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I haven't watched closely enough how they use Foyasad Aluikun on uh like tight ends and stuff. He might be more of like a sits in the middle sits in some kind of zone coverage drop back kind of linebacker rather than like a one-on-one matchup kind of linebacker. But given how much he's being paid and given that he's, he's built like a safety to start with, I'd kind of hope Aluakun could be part of the answer there, but I, I don't know. They're, they're, I guess more likely just isn't one. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking huge game uh, for, from Kelsey in this one. And again, I, I feel like the, the chiefs are, are going to be able to win this one, but by double digits, um, but Jags, amazing story this year. Con- considering where they were 365 days ago, unreal uh, what, what they were able to do this year. I will year, say it's all Doug and Trevor Lawrence pretty much. Uh, Trevor sure. Balky is still a complete buffoon, and they should still be better. Man, if they had DJ Chark with this offense with Trevor as playing as he has instead of Marvin Jones, they'd be they'd be an actual threat to the Chiefs with that detail alone, in my opinion. But Trent saw differently. Oh, so – we were being sarcastic in our Trent praise earlier. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get on to the Saturday nighter. We got uh, the Giants uh, going to Philly to face the Eagles, the one seed uh, in the NFC. Uh, Eagles, seven and a half point favorites. This, of course, the third time that they've met uh, this season. The, the Eagles drummed them. Uh, at, at the Meadowlands, and then I don't know how much you can really take away for, from the Week 18 game, but you know, is this is this the starting point of, of a serious playoff run for, from the Eagles, um, or you know, is this a team that, that gets by this week and is I don't know if exposed is the right word, but maybe aren't quite ready yet to, to make it uh, all the way to the Super Bowl. I think they'll be fine in this one. I think the Eagles pretty much roll in this okay. one. Uh, next week would be a different question. I think both Dallas and San Francisco would be pretty concerning matchups for the Eagles. 49ers more so, I guess, probably. Uh, but this week, I, like, I was, like I was saying a little earlier, the Giants overachieve, you know, almost as a matter of policy, but uh, they, they still... They're they're going to be tested on that, you know, not 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 in the same way that the Vikings were tested on maintaining their success, which is to say they just needed to they needed this statistically impossible to happen. They needed like all these aberrations to just last forever. Like the Giants show up and actually play well enough to kind of do better than their projections would normally merit. But the gap between them and the, the Eagles is so much that in in this particular sort of matchup, I don't know what they can really do. What they need is for Jalen Hurts to have an awful game, and I don't, 
I mean, I, I would prefer that he had gone into this perfectly healthy and didn't have that recent time off, but I just think that the Giants defense is very shorthanded in personnel after the front four and these receivers against these corners, like you have to give up so much in the gr- the run defense that I, I don't know what the Giants defense can do other than invite the Eagles to run all over them. And that might be their best option, but it, I don't know what reason we have to think that the Eagles would fail to respond. Like they, they can, if that's the adjustment, their counter adjustment is just, all right, Hurts is running it 15 times. Miles Sanders is running it 15 times. And if we only throw it 20 times, then that's all we throw it. And uh, we're kind of content to play that game. So it, it could just kind of be like the giants find out, you know, it's like that we keep it closer this way, but uh, we, we don't actually, you know, close the gap. And uh, we basically they need better coverage personnel at corner. They need probably a little better linebacker personnel on defense. Like uh, Martindale has been doing a really good job running that defense all year, and he's going to keep doing that. But that's just all more quickly to the point. They have such little talent in the back seven of that defense. It's crazy that they're ever competitive. And um, yeah, this is the playoffs is where you find the limits of overachievement traditionally. Yeah, exactly. So that this probably is the end of the road there for the giants. But when it comes to the spread here, seven and a half, do you think the giants can keep it to that? Uh, see, that's a different, that, that's yeah, that's different. Especially if, if the way that the Eagles need to play, if, if the giants sit back out of some sort of, you know, great respect for Brown and Devonte Smith, and then, in the you know, therefore invite the, the Eagles to run on them. The Eagles could run and run with great success and basically control the entire game and still, especially backdoor cover, give up that kind of thing. Because if you're it, – it's like that uh, – the Bengals, you know, Ravens example from last week. If, if everybody's running, the, even if it's not actually a competitive game, like the clock can run out so much faster that it's more analogous to playing like a two-and-a-half quarter game than a four-quarter one. And it's like, yeah, if it's a blowout, the lead, you know, you need time for that lead to, to express itself. And, and sometimes if, if you're running enough, you just sort of, you know, whereas it feels more maybe like 42 to 10, maybe it's only 28 to 10 or something like that. And in this case, maybe it's, you know, they it, they go into the final three minutes up 13 points or something. And it's, it's it hasn't been close all game. And the Giants still kind of just pat a touchdown at the end quick. Yeah, interestingly, uh, the Giants are getting 65% of the betting money uh, on the spread. I will say, I, I do think some of it is a feature, you know, a predictable, repeatable sort of detail of the Brian Dable effect on the offense. But Daniel Jones has not turned the ball over much at all this year, and he hasn't really been he hasn't faced extended exposure all year. Like so much of the Daniel Jones, you know, hype that's coming out now it's failing to note how much the offense that he's, he's having this career year. Yes. But note how much the offense still tries to hide him and wonder why that might be. And uh, expect to find out why in a game like this. Yeah. And uh, you know, like the, again, the, the rushing ability from him, you know, the Eagles are, are well aware of it and they also face a better running quarterback in practice every day. So I feel like, those corners don't need much help. They really don't. I mean, Bradbury and, and Slay shut down Slayton. 
Hodgins, even when he's on, he's not threatening you 12 yards downfield, you know? And so, I don't know, deep pass rush. I didn't even – did you notice Hassan Reddick has like 17 sacks this year? There's, what? There's a, lot, there's a lot on that defense. Yeah, they, yeah, they they get after it. It's it's pretty scary. So I think I think my lean is to go with the Eagles to to cover this I would one. And the Eagles, yeah. If they, it would. It's got to be a bad game from Hurts, and maybe that shoulder thing is cause for concern. But sure, I have to act like it isn't, and and you know, just kind of try to try to guess what these teams are at their you know base evaluation. Yeah, I I think that he has been. Uh, off the injury report all week. He so it should be fine. I mean, they gave him yeah. those two weeks for a reason and it's, it's, it should have been enough right there. Hopefully. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking as well. Let's get on over to Sunday. Um, let's get on to bills, bangles, bills, five point or five and a half point, depending on where you're looking uh, point favorites, the over under in this one, 48, 48 and a half. Um, depending on which, which book you're looking at. Um, Again, both of these teams played B minus games uh, last week. I'd say yeah, it's a fair grade for, for each of them. Um, the Bengals, obviously, I, I think that you know we're, we're running into a time is a flat circle thing where where the offensive line could be an issue again, just as it was in the postseason last year. But they still were able to overcome that and, and make it to the Super Bowl, obviously. But you know you, you lose uh, Kappa. Um, Jonah Williams dislocates his kneecap last week and, you know, he's considered week to week and it's not like he's amazing by any means either. Um, so you got like Jackson Carmen playing meaningful, meaningful snaps. Yeah. I was going to ask who the left tackle is now. Cause and I, was, I was like hoping it was a Denigy or whatever, but it's, of course it's, it's Jackson Cartman. It, it, yeah. So that's um that, that could be an absolute issue. You know, that could be the that's thing that sinks them. <laughs> it's like, Cartman wasn't even doing anything at guard where they were hoping he could not. Like, they they basically know he's not a tackle, so yeah, that's that's the problem for the Bengals right there. And uh, I don't know what they can really do, but I guess they could sort of play a run heavy game. The, the Bills, I think, can be tested in the run defense. I, I one of my one of my uh, more. Uh, unusual crank opinions is that I'm convinced Tremaine Edmonds is just awful. And I, I like I think, it. I think, yeah, I think everybody just thinks he's like pretty good, pretty or very good. And I'm, I'm over here just, uh, you know, muttering to myself about, about he's, he's no good. Milano's better or whatever. Um, but Milano's Milano's sick. Really, yeah, Milano's really good. He's their only good linebacker though, in my opinion. And, uh, I don't know. Edmonds is kind of just a guy. I don't mean to make it sound like he's some sort of huge liability. It's he's, he's fine. He just kind of like rides the wave of the defense. Um, but the run defense, I still think can be tested. And I think part of the way that the bills get such consistent overachievement in their secondary. And it's, you look at them play and you're like, why are Jordan Poyer and like Micah Hyde looking like dual Ronnie lots back here? Like what the hell is going on? And I think some of that is like some of their philosophy uh, especially of like how they utilize the safeties sort of leaves a bit of a vulnerability between the tackles and, and, you know, dive plays, things like that. But they're, they're trying to uh, certainly with the Josh Allen offense, they're hoping to pressure you into just throwing the ball anyway to, you know, catch up to them. And uh, they're hoping that they can, you know, just win with their chances in the run game. Like if, if you're going to test them on it, they hope that they can kind of just like call the bluff a couple times and not have to get, 
tested again and again over the course of the game because I think over the course of the game there's only so much they can do to hide that, that limitation and with Nixon and P. Ryan, the Bengals can credibly push for 40 carries from the running back position and get pretty decent production out of it. But if they have to do like deep drop backs and trying to get the big play, basically, I don't know how they're going to get the big play with offensive tackles like these, because I don't know how you're going to run a five-step drops. Like Burrow's got to get rid of the ball quick. Well, these corners do a lot of, uh, they get in your face and stuff, but they also do, they set up a lot of like kind of pouncing sort of looks to jump routes and they, they bank on that. They like, they figure out, you know, by this second count, the ball pretty much has to come out. So if it's that late in the play, just, just start looking for the ball, you know, just start looking for the quarterback. See like the ball is probably coming out any second. So, you know, take your chance and it'll usually work out. So if if Burrow can't make them guess wrong for that, if, if he can escape a little, I guess is how he'd have to do it. But even with Von Miller out, like Rousseau is, tough to get away from and uh who's that they had another one who was doing pretty good um is it aj was, up in Essa? no <laughs> yeah i was gonna say not him i don't think so uh i don't <laughs> think he's a real player really um, luca garza of iowa football yeah uh, i mean it was he's great at the non-nfl game you gotta go in that uh but i, I think uh i don't know kyrie elam maybe gets a little more work after playing well last week. They were actually, they actually had him rotating with Dane Jackson, who uh, I guess he works well in their scheme. It's got to be better than like Levi Wallace was or whatever, but um, chase obviously will make you run at some point. If you give Burrow, if Burrow gets to four seconds, it's like you need someone who can actually, someone's going to need to run and, and chase, uh, you know, pursue chase. Uh, that that might be easier said than done for the Bengals to arrange, but if, if they do, that the Bills are the ones who are kind of on the run in that point. So there's like there's some things that the Bengals can do on offense, but I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm worried because I, I definitely think Sean McDermott's the best defensive backs coach in the league, and he learned for many years under Jim Johnson in Philadelphia. He's well playoff tested himself at this point, so. I don't know. I, I, I could imagine this game being lower scoring than anyone like to see, by the way. I, 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 it's, it's not just the, the Bengals offense that I have concern for. So uh, I guess one you know thought that, that's bouncing around in my head as it pertains to the, the Bengals and uh, the, the skepticism you can approach them with, given the offensive line problems. But is there a quarterback who's kind of better suited to like kind of know what to do in those situations than Burrow? I mean, he hasn't had a good offensive line since he's gotten to the league and, and he dragged that offensive line to the Super Bowl last year. So, I mean, it's not like uh, that. this is like Tom Brady where, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a couple of all pro or, or pro bowl level guys are, are removed from the equation and the, the performance isn't as good. And he has to get rid of the ball extremely quickly. Like Burrow, he's still athletic, obviously only in his third year. Like he can, he can move around. I think he doesn't get quite as much credit as he deserves for his athleticism, I feel like may, maybe this is kind of where I've come around to it. Maybe the offensive line issues could be overblown, but maybe if, if Von Miller was out there, then then I would feel differently about it. But as it stands, maybe I'm not as petrified about Burrow just getting folded up as I would be. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, that's a tough one for me to sift through just because – 
Last year, yeah, Burrow weathered that storm, but they still should have lost against the Titans. It's like if you get sacked, what, nine times? <laughs> yeah, that was that's, an, that's an auto loss uh, against, a, like, oh, like, you know, 99 times out of 100. Uh, and the struggles were real, too, you know? It's like, it'd be one thing if every game for him were this thing where, yeah, he got hit 15 times, but, you know, he turned it over twice, but we'll take that 340 and th- th- four touchdowns every time. It's like, he's got legitimately bad games sprinkled in there especially early this year like yeah you know that pittsburgh game week one was just brutal um and and like he it shouldn't have been that hard and yet it was Uh, what's changed is zach taylor has generally done a better job uh game planning and managing play calling in games since then so hopefully that's another thing that's in burrow's favor that was not last year but it's just um it's just risky. And it's like Burroughs played in every type of situation. It's like at LSU, he had absolutely everything, you know, he had the, he had the, the monsters for his team mm-hmm. and he put up the big numbers. Like you said, he's, he's had the opposite of that at times with, with dealing with this, this pass blocking that's, uh, you know, could hardly be more difficult, especially in comparison to the LSU situation. Um, so he's, he's tested more than like his NFL playoff. Like he's, he's, I'd say he's, he's got as much like a, you know, veteran wiles factor is someone who's played like twice as many playoff games as he has. It's just all these things also apply to the bills. It's, it's just, there's a lot of, there's often in football, you know, it's a a classic scenario in football history of like having great players kind of just clash and one has to lose every time. But a lot of the times too, when you look at these, these players, careers at the end, it's like, yeah, those are the years that this guy and his team they they won those years, but then we won these years, and it you know it turns out to be a back and forth over you know a certain amount of time. That's probably what this game is. It's like somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose, but it's it's probably not going to be because either team is clearly better than the other, and they're going to kind of just do this give and take for years where you know they're they're going to lose some, win some, and. Uh, to me, anyway, it's like kind of anyone's guess who who gets the first loss in that, you know, that, that those series of, of games against each other. Yeah, sign me up for a lot of Burrow versus Allen. I, I can I can totally get behind that uh, on the uh, on the Bills side of things. Obviously, their, their run game continues to be an issue. So, I mean, I'm not drawing the direct comparison to what we were talking about earlier with, with the Chargers. And I don't expect the Bills to get the kind of lead where they like need to choke it out for an it's extended there. period of time. But um, you know that 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 is something that that could potentially keep the Bengals in this one. But you know, as it as it comes to Allen, how does this matchup look look for him? And you know, wh- where are the weak spots in, in this Bengals defense? Who who uh, who on the on the Bills offense could could really kind of show out? So, like I said, I, I was saying I had those various concerns for the Cincinnati offense, but I'm concerned for the Bills offense, too. And you're right, to, I think, to draw that kind of parallel almost of the Chargers. The one difference and the reason that the Bills don't get you know, pinched for it quite as much as the Chargers do is whereas the Chargers just go, uh, all right, let's, let's give five carries to whoever, Sony Michelle, Josh Kelly, who cares? Maybe that'll work. And it doesn't. The Bills, they say, all right, should we give uh, the ball to what's his name? Or uh, just make Allen run it. And yeah. Allen, Allen runs it, and it works out better than when Sony Michelle or whoever run it in, in the, the Chargers case. So uh, the Chargers don't put Herbert's body on the line over and over and over and <laughs> over in 
just every conceivable situation the way the bills do yeah and uh you know not to be morbid or whatever but that that i think we've already seen it have a little bit of a cost on allen it's like he he takes a lot of hits and yeah he doesn't take the worst of almost any of them but there's a reason you don't see quarterbacks running you know 20 plus miles per hour into the teeth of the defense over and over and over in the nfl it's even lamar jackson you know it's like he he is more of like, I'll try not to get hit kind of runner. Whereas Allen just goes straight and just kamikaze every time at the middle of the defense. Um, So that's their method. That's it's gotten better results. Of course, I question, you know, what kind of wick you're working with, with, with that kind of approach, but for one game, any given play, of course, it's like, well, yeah, Allen's the problem here. It's the defense that has to worry. So uh, that, that, is what that's how they bail themselves out. You know, when, when maybe it would have been conventionally good to have a running back who could kind of get you 15 yards on four carries here. You're just going to have to hope Josh Allen does instead, or because it's, it's better than banking on Singletary or cook. Uh, neither of them is reliable. Cooks had explosiveness. You know, he's been extremely explosive, but he, he runs these such delicate play structures that they, they just can't scale up. If they try to make, the, uh, the the James Cook plays like a staple run play of their offense. They're, they're going to do it one time, and Allen's not even going to get the handoff completed. It's good. Like someone's going to come knifing through the line, blowing up the handoff. And uh, they, so they can't look to that for scale. If they go to Singletary for scale, you give up explosiveness. You take on fumbling liability. So it has to be Allen, and uh, we'll see how that goes for them. But I, I think they could lose this game, uh, not so much for that reason, it's just kind of like the, the Bengals defense is just good. Like there's, there's a lot of team like we've seen the Bengals defense give trouble to the chiefs specifically. So if we think the chiefs are basically the most feared offense in the league, and I, I consider Mahomes and himself the most fearsome offense in the league. So I, I consider myself in that group. Uh, the Bengals have to be a concern for anybody, including the bills. And if the bills have these sort of concerns, then it's it's a bad time to have your concerns. It's a bad time to have questions to answer when you have to go against the Bengals' defense. So specifically, uh, if Lou Anarumo finds a way to limit Stephon Diggs, right there, it, the whole game comes down to Josh Allen scrambling, I think, and running. It, that, like it, it, all the slack will fall to that because I, I just can't see I can't see a base rushing attack doing a whole lot for the Bills. I, I mean, Singletary and especially Cook can crack you know, a, a nice run here or there, the more like a draw, the better for them. Uh, which is to say the more serious in between the tackles, the worse for them. So I, I think it's kind of like a flimsy rushing attack that they can only go to for little bits of time. Um, both because that's an inherent limitation of limited running back personnel, like Singletary and cook. And also because the Bengals will eventually stuff you. Like if you get a couple big runs on them, you should probably look at it as like, all right, we got what we can there. We need to find something else or else we're just pushing our luck at that point. And uh, yeah, like DJ reader, especially once when he's on the field, they're, they're tough to run on. Like Logan Wilson might be a bit underrated as a linebacker. Uh, the safeties play really well, um, almost as well as those bills ones. So if, if Diggs is contained from a Lou Anarumo, just kind of whatever custom game plan for dealing with Diggs. That reduces the offense to just Gabe Davis running against uh, running too far downfield. So they, they use Davis too far downfield. Like some of those intermediate underneath targets, they basically give to um, Beasley and 
McKenzie, if they found a way to make targets, viable routes and targets for Davis on some of those reps, they would get better results out of Davis and their broader offense. But particularly when they do this thing where Davis has to run 15 yards downfield for his targets, like, okay, you better have time to throw then. That's a far depth downfield, and Davis is not a speed guy. Can you block that long? I mean, we got – it's not the most feared pass rush in the league, but the Bengals give you plenty of worry about – plenty to worry about in the pass rush. I'd say there's three, there's three strong at defensive end now, which is different from last year. Like, Osai is going to kind of just sneak up on everybody, but he's going to get going in the next uh, year or so. So um, I, I don't know if the Bills can bank on Davis getting far downfield, and even if he does, like Cam Taylor Britt and Eli Apple are both big and fast corners. Like they might not be great or whatever, but Davis, in my opinion, is operating in a role that doesn't perfectly suit him. So I, I think the Bills got to worry when, uh, with just as little as the fact that Taylor Britt and Apple totally match Davis's athletic traits. They neutralize the the, the build advantage that he often has. He doesn't mm-hmm. have fear. He's not going to be open. He doesn't have that much time to get open. If Diggs doesn't step up, it's just on Allen. Right. And, and you know, you, you mentioned the safety personnel for, for the Bengals. Would that neutralize, you know, that, that kind of other option when, when it comes to Dawson Knox? Right. The Bills have been going to Knox a little bit lately. And right. he's, he's, he's good for his role. But I think if they become dependent on him for more than his customary role – that, that's when you got to start worrying about stuff just going wrong. I think in ways that it could be, you know, a, it could be a mundane version of going wrong. Like you, you throw it to him and he doesn't catch it this time last week. He caught it. Maybe that's the only difference, but uh, Lou Anarumo is, is going to have, I think, you know, not necessarily the guy's always going to have a great game plan. Even the best coaches get, you know, beat from time to time. Sometimes they have bad ideas, even if they almost always only have great ideas. So Anarumo is not infallible, but in general, if the Bills start showing a tendency, they need to worry about him picking up on it and instructing the Bengals' defense accordingly. And so far, it you know it's not often that you see the Bengals' defense get blindsided. It's usually like they surprise the other team with how well they're playing, and maybe maybe they kind of lose a little bit of it. Maybe they maybe they're not truly dominant as a defense, but they kind of have a way of just uh, being more of a nuisance than you expect. So with all of that being said, I'm going to say the Bengals do it. I'm going to say they go into Orchard Park and, and come out with the win. I really – I this is one of those games like I just cannot pick. Like I really can't. I, I hope more than anything that it just delivers. Like I, I hope that this yeah. game is, is as good as it should be. I think it's going to be lower scoring than people traditionally want. You're going to see complaining about it. But I think people who uh, value more like pre-20 – 10 NFL football will we'll say it was a, a really good game because it, I, I can imagine this being more about running than people would like, which by the way, the more that that's the case, the more it helps the Bengals. Uh, yes. like, or at least like for 10 plays, you know, it's like you, you take Josh Allen over the, the cumulative Bengals rushing attack. But like I said, you can't really get to 20 carries with Allen. You certainly can't get to 30. The Bengals can get to 30 with those two running backs. And, and I think they're better suited to run defend than the bills defense. Even um, like, Okay, so I guess if I have to pick, I'll say the Bengals, uh, but I really don't want to pick. And um, it's like if, if some side wins by a lot, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe either side can win by a lot or lo- lose by a little. I don't really know. But uh, the less the Bengals can utilize that run game, the worse for them, I think. And uh, I think it would, because it would almost necessarily attest to either 
the Bengals being unable to run, which would just kind of be bad enough on its own. And also it, it could indicate the Bills scoring enough to take away the run option as a base function. So uh, if, if by indirect or direct means, if, if the Bills can stop the, the Cincinnati run game, I like their chances more. It's just I am concerned about that specific thing. Right. Yeah, the, the people always say like the, the Bills defense is meant to stop Patrick Mahomes in the in the Chiefs offense. But oh, I, yeah, Bang, Bengals is a little different. I think they meant for I think they also think, too, that Tremaine Edmonds is, is good enough to, to put some muscle in the run defense there. But, yeah, I think if the Bengals stick with the run, Mixon and, and P. Ryan are big backs. It, it's not going to be in, it's not going to be like a big explosion in the run game. But if they keep the game close for like a quarter and a half and they stick with the run game, I think they're going to eventually see linebackers just taking false steps, uh, being a step slower than they were the first time, et cetera. Uh, whereas the Bills can't really do that. Like if it's like they almost they just like wear out their little running backs faster than they wear out the defense when they run. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think since he does it, uh, they got they got something to him. Um, let's round it out here. We got Cowboys Niners. Speaking of pre 2010 football, you know, that yeah. is a classic oh NFC matchup. Um, but obviously very different now. Um, you know, the, the Cowboys interesting, uh, win uh, on Monday night, you know, that I thought, I thought Dak Prescott played the best game of his postseason career, uh, to, to this point. Um, you know, pretty much everything was, was working for them on offense, uh, special teams, Obviously, not not quite uh, as much. Uh, do you do you think that that is like a factor going into into this game? Like it, how rattled uh, Brett Maher is? It could be the yips are real. Like I, I uh, especially for the first two uh, missed extra points, I was saying like, guys, we we can't cut Maher. He's he's automatic from long range, and for me, that's like all I really actually want out of a kicker. It's like if I. If I have to just do a two-point conversion offense or something, I, I guess I'll just do that. As long as the kicker makes 60 yarders whenever I want. Are you kidding me? Like mm-hmm. Maher has the NFL record. He, he has four made 60-plus yard field goals. That's crazy. Um, he has more than Justin Tucker, everybody, more than Morton Anderson. He, he of all kickers, has the most uh, from beyond 60 yards. And he's, he's like, especially after that game, I'm pretty sure he's more reliable from – uh, 50 plus yards the past two years than he is on extra points. So maybe all Dallas really needs to do is just uh, either, either let the clock run out three times or go to the ref and say like, we would like to kick this from our 35, not our 15 or whatever it starts out at. And uh, just let him kick 50 yard extra points. I mean, problem solved. Problem solved. As far as I'm concerned. Dang. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't know. I'd, I'd have a lot of trouble cutting a kicker who, who can make, like 90% of his kicks from beyond 50. That's crazy. So uh, it's a, it's a very Dallas Cowboys kind of problem to have. Like I, they, they, they kind of have a way of inventing new kinds of drama that you just sort of, you felt safe crossing it off as a possibility before. It's like, let's see, how are the Cowboys going to blow it this year? Like, Ooh, what if they, uh, what if they have a kicker who is just godlike from beyond 50 yards but the catch is that he misses four extra points at a time in a row. And uh, maybe they lose in the playoffs because they, they uh, it comes down to an extra point rather than a, you know, the more, the more classic story of the field goal, the last second field goals. Like he'll win you the last second field goal, but 
if it if it's in any point in the game, extra point, he he misses it and blows up the whole thing. Uh, year over, got to rebuild now. Um, that would be a very Dallas Cowboys way to end the season. But um, yeah, and also Dallas's recent history. Oh, it looks like John's got the internet monster again. Dallas's um, somewhat recent history, anyway. They had Mike Vanderjagt uh, with the most legendary case of the yips of all time. Like he was, um, he was like the top kicker in the league with the Colts. Then he got the yips after he had the he missed an extra he missed something in the playoffs. Got into a big public feud with Peyton Manning. Uh, John's back. It looks like. But yeah, after the missed uh, kick and then uh, the, the Peyton Manning going uh, posting on him at the Pro Bowl, uh, they. Uh, he just got the yips and he never came back. And, and Vanderdeck was always this guy who talked a lot of uh, crap and stuff and was very like, very like uh, I'm the coolest kicker ever was, was kind of his thing. And he got the yips so bad. He just kind of had to walk away with his tails between his legs. Just cause just, he, he really went from never missing anything to missing absolutely everything. Um, the difference is Brad Maher doesn't have uh, like Peyton Manning making voodoo dolls of him or whatever. So hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Maher can be okay and doesn't get like a truly permanent case of the yips because um, uh, it'd be a shame he, he, and he doesn't seem as dislikable as Vanderjack so it's, it's like why, why why should he have to go to the same hell as Vanderjack what did he even do that was so bad anyway I don't know uh, Canadian kicker all liquored up or something is that what Peyton Manning said uh, Peyton Manning's like what you have here is you have an idiot kicker who got liquored up, ran his mouth off. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I remember I was actually watching that live, and I, I was much you know younger, and I, I was like, well, what the hell is going on there? Why, <laughs> why are these guys fighting, and why why are they doing this at the Pro Bowl or whatever? Yeah, that was because I, I guess at that point, uh, Manning hadn't won a Super Bowl, so he, he had started to kind of get the, the choker narrative. Um, and he's like, nah, I'm yeah, he had kicker. that very much. He, he, yeah, it was, it was, uh, um, and he actually had some pretty bad games initially. So it's, uh, it's, um, oh, the, it's like the, one of those the, things that both, both were true, but, uh, yeah, it's funny. Cause it, in, if you listen to people talk about Peyton Manning now, you'd think like he only did great and that they always supported him every step of the way and never had any criticism. And I was like, Oh yeah, I knew in those first six playoff losses that he'd eventually be the best ever. It's like, no, there's, it was a time when it wasn't so clear. Yeah, I mean, like it. Uh, yeah, some of those games against the Patriots were were. Right, especially horrible. Brady was ahead of him, and I guess kind of is. But back back at the time, Brady was the reason there was any. Uh, like you'd have people who believed that both Manning was not the best, uh, you know, competitor or whatever, and also not the best technically uh, adept quarterback. Whereas now it's like everyone, even like Manning's critics, say like. Yeah, he was the best. Like technic, he was the most technically adept quarterback ever. Even if he had a, even if he choked a little. Yeah, because yeah, and I I tend to agree with that sentiment. That that guy. And it's important that you know all of this to understand the the, the present day uh, compelling uh, drama that is Brett Maher. And uh, but yeah, to, I, if it does come down to him, I guess Dallas, you know, could be in a lot of trouble. Four missed extra points is pretty insane. I don't understand how he did it. Uh, it it's it's the kind of thing that's going to stick in his head forever. Every time he goes up for an extra point now, he's going to be like, remember when you missed four of these in one game? <laughs> in the anyway, playoffs? Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Maybe it's the kind of thing, like, because Dallas got him through it, now he's, like, uh, 
invincible or something like maybe yeah, the, the slates wiped clean uh maybe you know they just sent him out for an ayahuasca retreat to to cleanse the mind earlier this week and he's back and for kickers yeah. it's good yeah and uh he's he's ready to go uh still the 49ers or, sorry not to not to skip the buccaneers too much i guess but they're toast who cares yes. uh dak dak was good though all along so it's not especially with the san francisco defense showing some cracks lately it's not it, it's still dangerous for dak and the cowboys offense but it's not qu- i'm not quite as worried for them as, as i would have been um like six weeks ago. And again, this is, that's more from the, just the kind of proactive perspective of the 49ers defense. I, I, I never really bought the idea that like Dak just, you know, sucked or whatever. It's not like this last game convinced me that he's actually good. I thought he was always actually good, but the 49ers defense was so good earlier in the year. I thought this is a total buzzsaw. Like anybody other than Mahomes and like maybe somebody else is in trouble against this defense. Whereas lately they've been giving up big plays and, I guess it's something that I, I should have seen coming because their cornerback personnel is still bad. It's like they got Traverius Ward who got smoked himself against the Seahawks. And it's like, God, if Traverius Ward's getting smoked, what can we even do about this? Like what, what we got nothing. Um, he'll probably bounce back just cause he's, he's not a bad player. He just, although he did look almost kind of like hurt on that one deep pass to DK Metcalf. So hopefully he's not dealing with a tweak or whatever. Um, but he'll play better. It's the other corners that are the problem. Not even Jimmy Ward. Like, Jimmy Ward in the slot has been good. Uh, D'Amador Lenoir has been a target the last couple years. And uh, if you get a fourth, if you get, like, a dime formation, whoever that fourth corner is, like, I guess that Toledo rookie or somebody, like, Lenoir and that Toledo rookie or whoever they're – Janoris Jenkins or whoever they're putting at that fourth corner spot, like, they – they could be a problem for the 49ers. Uh, the question is whether, I guess, the, the 49ers pass rush intervenes before those those corners lose their, their assignments and coverage. And uh, particularly with Dallas's offensive line struggling, uh, shuffling. Uh, I believe the Jason Peters at left tackle, Tyler Smith at left guard, Tyron Smith at right tackle last week was the first time they've trotted out that combination. Continuity is really important on the offensive line. That was that was kind of concerning to me when they when they made that switch. Like, just leave Tyler Smith at left tackle. Have Connor McGovern be the left guard. Put Jason Peters on the bench. He's forty two. This is ridiculous. Just this this is all you got. Just stick with it. Like, hope they get better because you're not going to get better by by benching McGovern, moving Tyler Smith to a different position, and then putting Jason Peters on the field. I, I will say uh, I have a direct historical comparison to that the Ravens 2012 Super Bowl run. They, they had benched Bryant McKinney. Then they put him at left tackle for the start of the postseason and put Assembly at left guard or something, and uh, it worked. But um, that's that's uh, it's some esoteric that's, knowledge right there. <laughs> yeah, even I forgot that one. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it, it's it's uh, there's no Bryant McKinney. There's it's a uh, you know it's the old man Jason Peters, and yeah. also he's hurt. So. Right. Uh, I guess they're going to have to go back to the Tyler Smith at left tackle and the governor at left guard, left guard kind of thing. Um, but in any case, this is really not the defensive line that you want to run into while you're pondering your best offensive line format and, and making switch at left tackle, whichever way you do it. So, uh, yeah, it's bad. The 49ers defense, I was just talking about how they've been getting worse lately. Right. It's possible that tide turns a little bit the other way up, especially in the defensive line, because 
I guess it's been about six weeks they've had Armstead, but they're just now getting Kinlaw back to his customary workload. <clears throat> so Armstead, Kinlaw, Bosa, that's a lot. And uh, Ebukam or whoever else, it's like everybody that they're putting in to rush the passer is, is, is causing problems. And they might look even better as the playoffs go along here. And that would necessarily be at Dallas's expensive. So, and if Dak's getting just clobbered all the time, like, yeah, then he's probably going to turn the ball over eventually. And then, uh, you know, I thought one of the, one of the bigger details uh, of Monday night's game was, was Dalton Schultz and his performance. You know, how does he match up against the, the safety personnel? Yeah, that was definitely the best game of his career. I just wonder, I mean, I, I actually don't wonder. I, I think if they need to go back to him for more of that, they just lose because I, I, and it's so easy to imagine even that last game going a little differently, not for Dallas, but for Schultz, like that big catch that he had, it was like the left sideline, maybe he had to bobble it kind of, it's like most of the time he's probably not catching that pass. And uh, sometimes these, these red zone targets that he gets from Dak are kind of just like improvised. He doesn't really beat anybody. He just sort of goes where he's supposed to, when he's supposed to. And sometimes there's an opening that, uh, flows to where his route was going to be anyway and uh, he plays hard and stuff he plays smart but I don't think he can dictate anything the most he could dictate this game is if he is deemed worth the attention of Fred Warner and if you're Dallas if you take a zero for Schultz in exchange for keeping Warner away from CeeDee Lamb you do it mm. and uh, by by away from CeeDee Lamb what I mean is you would Really, in this line, in this matchup, you'd really, as Dallas, like to be able to set up a matchup where you get Ceedee Lamb going across the field, and uh, especially if, if he's if if he's being followed by Charvarius Ward, you as Dallas want to take Ward laterally as much as possible, as far across the field as possible, because Ward's at his best just going vertical on the sideline. He, he he's tall and he's fast and he can jump high, but going laterally is not what he does best, what he's best at is going in a straight line and jumping and knocking the ball down. If you try to complete a pass down the sideline. So if he has to track CD lamb across the field and he might not, I mean, they, they might do some kind of zone thing to in anticipation of this. Um, but if lamb goes across the field and Fred Warner's there, that's just as bad as any other scenario. Pretty much. It's like, you, you've got to get him running across the field and hope Fred Warner's worrying about something else. Cause if Fred Warner on any given play is thinking, I just got to shut down Lamb. I got to watch Lamb on the crosser. Like that's, that's, you know, you're back to needing Schultz to make a big play for you. And, and maybe he can make some play, but against a defense like this, I think the catch is more likely, you know, six yards on third and eight, something mm-hmm. like that. So, all right. So that, that, that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on, on what or how exactly Warner is. is maybe uh, T.Y. Hilton and Gallup need to step up against Lenoir on the other corner. I mean, Hilton. He can Hilton looks fast. fine to me. I don't yeah. know why. I mean, there's got to be some kind of catch. Like maybe he just has fresh legs and being 33, 34 or whatever. Maybe he's going to get to snap 100 and all of a sudden run a four six. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, he looks pretty fast right now. And yeah, if he, if they get a one on one with Lenoir on T. Y. Hilton and Dak gets three seconds, that's something Dallas needs to go deep on because. You know, you're not going to get many shots like that. And when there's so many other ways you could imagine production being stalled by the 49ers defense, like you need to, you need to keep your eyes open for that, you know, big shot, you know, it's like, you got to be patient for it maybe, but when it's there, you need to take it because 
you're not going to like grind your way to first downs. Otherwise, like you need the big play to dishevel them and get you like a, a quick burst of, of points that you don't normally get in the baseline projection. And then you need to lock in your anomalous game that way. And then on the other side of things, you know, the, the Niners offense looked great last week. Um, do you it think was easy, it man. That was one of the most uncompetitive defensive. It's, it's still not being properly uh, contextualized. You know, the Brock Purdy numbers, of course, were really good. But more than anything interesting to say about Purdy, I think there are things to say about just how badly the Seahawks defense was beaten in that game. I mean, like, those those throws that Purdy was getting set up were, were plays that you only see when a defense has been completely conquered. Like, they were just... They were annihilated. That was ugly yeah. how badly they were getting beaten. And yet, um, you see a lot of the talk now. It's just like, well, man, Purdy really lit them up. Like, in the same way that almost literally any quarterback who has been on an NFL roster going back 40 years would have. Like, I actually can't think of any quarterback bad enough to, to blow those throws that Purdy was getting set up. And like, it's good for Purdy that he's you know, poised and he doesn't uh, look – uh, he doesn't look a gift horse in the mouth and then, you know, I guess to keep the, the metaphor going, throw it uh, at the horse's face really hard <laughs> at point blank. But like, that's, that's, that's the kind of, like he, he's, he's, it's, it's, it's a uh, bumper bowling. It's whatever you'd like to call it. But uh, like the throw to Debo was basically like a warm up. It's like, that's like playing catch with your dad football right there. And uh, your dad runs 70 yards after the catch against NFL defense. Everyone cheers for you. Uh, must be <laughs> nice. But uh, it's if those yards after the catch aren't there, if there's a defense uh, getting in the way of the initial uh, throw, which he could have done, un- he could have granny style passed like a lot of these throws that he made, and it would have been the same exact result. So uh, if you believe the game will continue to be that easy for Purdy, then, yeah, he can keep making those plays. And he can probably make some plays that he wasn't tested on either. I mean, it was, it was so easy. Like, I, I, I would concede that Purdy didn't get tested himself either. Like, it's not as if he had to strain to make any of these plays. So he could do more. He, 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 we could see what he looks like when he has to actually, like, you know, grind a bit and dictate a little bit. But he hasn't done it yet. The one times that he's gone over 30, 30 pass attempts in the game was against the Raiders who are awful, and uh, there was that other really bad defense. I can't remember who. Um, anyway, the, the the Raiders game, even that one, you started to see it fall apart. When when Purdy got over, like, 30 pass attempts, the big plays started being more infrequent, more incomplete passes. He turns it over, which he normally doesn't do. So the Dallas defense can bring about some of that, those kinds of risks. I just think the 49ers should be fine because I don't think Dallas can stop the ground game with the 49ers. And especially with, uh, I wrote about this a little bit in the cornerback article for this week. I think you're going to see Shanahan, not just to maybe, maybe a little bit to send a message kind of, but also as a matter of practicality, he's going to try to get Debo Samuel lined up one-on-one against Trevon Diggs in, in the ground game. He's going to try to make Diggs tackle uh, Debo Samuel. And I don't know if you saw it, I don't know if this is always a problem. To be fair to Diggs, I don't, I don't usually notice him as much as I did last week. But he he looks like the 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 trope about uh, the caricature of Deion Sanders being like unable to tackle. Yeah, that was Diggs last week, man. I, it was crazy. I mean, I guess he was trying, but if he hadn't been trying, he would have done about as well. So <laughs> I don't know what the difference is worth. 
if he's if if he's squared up against Debo, Debo's gonna like break his collarbone and then run yeah. for a touchdown. Yeah. So that yeah, the the physicality of of this um of this Niners offense, I, I think is going to be a problem. And I, I think I don't know if if Purdy has the goods to like get it done uh for you know next week or, or in the Super Bowl. But Super Bowl's where it's a problem. Yeah. But this week, I, I just think that there there's enough like enough variance to this uh or variability to this Niners offense where they can they can beat you in so many different ways where he doesn't have to be anywhere close to you know not, not like he's been Superman but um they they can hide him effectively and and still crush also Dan Quinn has been running a little bit different of a scheme with Dallas than he did with the Seahawks and even the Seahawks are running a different scheme now than they did with the Legion of Boom era but Dan Quinn is a Pete Carroll guy and Shanahan has made that Seahawks defense really suffer a lot. So it wouldn't be terribly shocking to me if Shanahan goes into this game, having identified basically a weakness in the Dallas defense that no one else has, or no one else has been able to exploit. And I bet it's in the ground game. Chris McCaffrey and Debo, I think both run for quite a bit here and and maybe even other people too. I think you almost, if you're the 49ers, you almost want to make this your, uh, your your Mac Jones road game or whatever or was it no it was in it was in it was, in Bu- it was Buffalo I think oh it was Buffalo okay so yeah they they it's at home there's there's not low temperatures or wind but just maybe act as if there are and mm-hmm. the rest should work itself out and then uh, of note uh, loyal listener Julia J been missing from oh, the stream Julia. the last few weeks she's back so so hey Julia thanks for listening. I even cleaned up the mustache earlier this week, so I mean, I'm glad that it was ready uh, for, for showtime uh, as it is right now. Um, but are you surprised at all with, with all this being said? Because basically, the the end result of you know both of our breakdowns uh, has kind of led us to believe that that the Niners win this one fairly comfortably, and yet the 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 number is just three and a half in favor of the Niners. And uh, let's see here, well, seventy two percent of the public agrees with that sentiment, but uh, you know, three and a three and a half, that's where it gets tricky potentially. Yeah. I, I don't mean to count Dallas out. I just think their path is a little narrower and, you know, with more conditional statements than the 49ers. I, I feel like the 49ers, like with the beauty of being able to run the ball really well as an offense is you don't need to make conditional statements as much. Like if you can just dictate on the ground, there's a, there's a level of certainty that you have a, a certain bargaining position that you always have at the outset. And uh, it just, it, it makes you more immune to the fluctuations of the game, I think. And that's something the 49ers have a decisive advantage of here. So almost on that basis alone, I would make them the favorites. But um, if Dallas can somehow, again, they're going to need like that big play from Hilton or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe, Maybe Pollard is enough of a pass-catching threat demonstrated at this point that Fred Warner would concern himself with Pollard, and maybe that's how you get CeeDee Lamb set up on a post route where you, where you get him a little bit laterally away from Ward, or uh, better yet, uh, against Lenoir in between the safeties downfield. That, that kind of stuff could be there for Dallas, but it's like they need that big play because they can't bank on their base functions getting them anywhere. Whereas the 49ers base functions should just result in like steady gains and uh, they need, they would need like anomalies to intervene uh, on their against them. Uh, 
just as the Dallas offense at the same time needs these kind of like unlikely big plays to keep them in the conversation in the first place. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's like a 60-40 San Francisco kind of thing. Uh, the one thing that would give me pause about the cover is that if the 49ers don't make it a decisive win, if, if Dallas is if Dallas makes it a three-quarter game, then they're also pretty good at having that endings. What is it? They always have they always lose by four. That's what Dallas does. They're really great at losing by four. They're really great at having this feeling like they're they're like they're so close to making the comeback, but uh, they never seem to make it, and they they always seem to just get to like the twenty yard line of the opposing team, and it's like you know fourth and eleven or fourth and goal from the fourteen yard line, and there's there's one second left, and they just can't seem to get that touchdown. They always get close, but they need the touchdown, so they can't get the field goal. And then they lose despite being like right at you know the door. So that's that's the, what I would be looking at is like the San Francisco by four. Okay, so just sneaking through, but but getting there. Um, and then Julia has interesting little topic of conversation. We can hit this quickly before we sign off. If you were to start a franchise today, Purdy, Gino, or Derek Carr. Uh, well, given that I'm a little skeptical of Purdy in the long term, the, the youth wouldn't really matter to me, but that's, that's what he would have on Gino. So right. I'd go with Gino just cause I think he's the best present day one. And because I'm not convinced Purdy will get better, but obviously if, if Purdy gets better, if there's, if he's, if he's a viable starter for more than a couple years, I, I guess that's that's something you wouldn't be able to say with the two older guys. Right. Yeah. With, with Purdy, you know, that in this theoretical example, you know, you're starting a franchise like that doesn't guarantee that you have Kyle Shanahan, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, good offensive line, Christian McCaffrey. Like I think he's, it, he's done as well as you could have possibly hoped, but I, I don't know how much we can really take away from it or like how much he he's like adding to it necessarily. He's just kind of operating how the for 49ers this, operate for this question. He's either like the right answer or he's a zero. And uh, whereas with Smith Carr, the appeal is like, well, at least you might get two years or something. See, exactly. So uh, that that's kind of uh, where I'm with it as well. And then uh, la- last one, uh, if Dallas loses this game, who is to blame for them not making the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, it, it could be one of those things where like they did as well as they could have and, Maybe there's no true blame to give out, but I think if they fell apart, it would be because their offensive line got overwhelmed while their defense was unable to stop the San Francisco ground game. So uh, I, I, would, I would personally blame that on just catching the 49ers at the wrong time, but uh, I think that's what this game will come down to. Yeah, oddly enough, uh, yeah, I don't really feel like there's like an obvious, like this is where Jerry Jones screwed up. This is where... Dak screwed up or even Mike McCarthy. Yeah. I mean, I, I will with that said, if there is like a, a blame point, I, I will say it's the McCarthy hire. Cause I, yeah. I just, I think Dallas has a lot of talent and I, I don't, it's possible McCarthy's like staying out of the way, but that's the best he can do. And I don't know. I, 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 I still believe a better coach could have done more with this team. Yeah, no, it, it was it was strange from the start that that uh, they, they hired McCarthy, but but here we are, and he's got them in the playoffs uh, yet again. Um, but that's going to do it for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for the NFL Divisional Round. From Mario Puig, I'm John McCackney. Thanks for listening.
Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.